0: Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. So glad that you are here to worship with us. If you have your Bibles, will you grab them? Open up to the book of Philippians. We're continuing in our uh, journey through the book of Philippians, and we're coming to a close. We're coming into some of the final chapters in the series we're calling Gospel Culture as we're looking at what it means to be a people under the banner of King Jesus, that Jesus is our King, Uh, that Jesus gives his people uh, a culture and a way of living, a way of interacting with one another, and he sets the directives for us. He gives us uh, what to do, how to walk, how to understand who we are in Christ, and how to relate to one another, and it's been a wonderful journey as we've uh, looked at what it means to be and walk in a gospel culture that is advancing the gospel in our own lives, in the lives of one another, and in the lives of people around us as we journey through this life together. And so the Apostle Paul writes this book, uh, it's a book filled with joy, it's a book that's filled uh, with Paul's warm affection for this church, and he's writing it, if you remember, in prison. So he's imprisoned in Rome, and he's writing back to this church that he helped plant. And so it's been a wonderful journey. Before we jump in, I want to give you all a couple of things to be looking forward to. Uh, one, this is our last Sunday here in Bonnie's. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, I can't believe it. It's like kind of bittersweet. It's been the last eight years essentially walking in this place and opening up God's word and setting up really uncomfortable black chairs and uh, huffing the stage out and then putting it all back. It's been, we've done it um, about 420 times. Um, 420 times, and next week, we're gonna be moving into our new space, so mark your calendars, get the address, it's on the website. Uh, Don't come here next week. Uh, We'll be at our new Creekside location. We're thrilled about it it's gonna be surreal. I still feel like I'm helping someone else move. It's not really ours. I'm just like kind of helping put things up. It hasn't fully seated in. Um, that that is really gonna be a place that we are gonna be able to gather together as a people. We're so grateful. We're so grateful to Bonnie, the fact that she has let us remain here uh, for eight years. We've been a huge inconvenience to her at times. Um, she has been a, an enormous blessing to us, and we are just deeply, deeply grateful for her heart, her heart for the Lord, her heart to want to leverage this space to see Christ proclaimed and preached. Uh, We've seen people be baptized. We've seen people be saved. So it's very sentimental uh, on this last Sunday, this spring break Sunday, that will be our final time here at Bonnie's. I hope to be able to bring her to the new space and we can pray over her and we can honor her for the many, many years that she journeyed with us, though many of you don't even know what she looks like. She's very dear to me, for my family, uh, and she's dear to all of you, whether or not you know what she looks like or not because of the fact that her heart for this space was to use it for the gospel. And it's really helped build the gospel culture in us, and she's played a part of that. Um so 26, moving into the new building. If you're new with us, you're wondering, hey, what are they all about? What is this church all about? How do I connect in? How do I plug into this gospel culture here that the Lord's building at Risen Church? We are doing a membership class series, and that's sort of our pathway into connection. It's our pathway into what do we believe? Why do we believe it? What are we doing? What's God calling us to? What's God calling us into? How do we live life together as God's people? That's gonna start April the 16th. It's a three-week class. It'll be before. For church in the new building, not sure what room it'll be in yet. We got to figure uh, all those things out. So that'll be three weeks. So if you're new with us, we want to invite you to be part of that. And and even if you're like, I'm not sure if I'm ready to join the church and become a member, it's a great it's a great class to walk through to say, is this a place for me? Just to learn more about what we're all about. And the elders teach that class, and we walk through doctrine, we walk through culture, we walk through what the Lord's calling us into, and calling us. Uh, uh, four. And so I would encourage you to be part of that. Also, we have Easter Sunday. We have Good Friday service coming up. And then on Palm Sunday, uh, which is April, the, someone help me out. Whatever that was, that murmuring. Yes. <laughs> Palm Sunday. We're having a church-wide barbecue. So in the new building, we're gonna, uh, we've got a, a tr- Jocko is gonna bring his barbecue pit that he can tow in the trailer. We're gonna cook some pulled pork, some ribs, and lots of sides, so we have a sign-up for that. All of these things that you can register for that you can be a part of on the little QR code on the back. If you don't know how to work that, uh, if you're like Andrew Poole, um, come <laughs> grab me, and I'll help you get registered uh, and know about all these things coming up. Let's jump in to God's Word this morning. Philippians chapter 4, just two verses this morning, but they are Wonderful. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living, that it is active, that it is true, that it is pure, that it is lovely, that it is commendable, that it is excellent, and that it is praiseworthy. So as we think on these things As Paul has just charged us with, would you open our minds to the truths of who you are, God? And would you in turn open our hearts and would you open our lives to walk in step with the truth of the gospel? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is the source of truth in a world of chaos and untruths. And so, Lord, anchor our hearts and our minds. We want to be a people of your word. We want to be a people Um, of your good gospel. And so use this time together as we think on these things to enrich our minds and hearts. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul is wrapping up this letter. He's, he's coming to a close in his letter uh, to this church that he loves in Philippi, and what he's doing now as he's concluding, as he's wrapping up these, these final thoughts, if you were, is he's, he's, he's telling us in an everyday, boots-on-the-ground kind of way how to live out chapter 4, verse 1, which, if you remember, and you were here with us the last few weeks, was stand firm in the Lord. He charges his people to stand firm in the Lord. And now as he's concluding and landing the plane, he's showing us what does that mean. How do we stand firm in the Lord? And he's been doing that last week as we unpacked uh, in verse 2 where he says, well, how do we do this? We rejoice in the Lord. Uh, In verse 4, he says, let the gentleness of God be evident in all of you. In verse 5, he says, don't be anxious about anything. And then last week, he landed the plane, if you remember, and take everything to the Lord in prayer and supplication. In the peace of God... Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This beautiful call to prayer and a life of the gospel culture that he's calling us to, to walk in. And now, in our verses today, he says this word, finally. Remember, it starts right there. Finally. It can be translated in addition to. It's kind of like that feeling, uh, or it's that statement if you're a parent and you have kids and they're running out the door to go play, it's that last thing. Hey, one more thing before you leave. He's kind of wanting to get one last thought in. He's wanting to get one more thoughts into them before he finally lands the plane and concludes. So he's saying, one last thing as you walk out the door, as you, one last thing I want to leave with you. And the one last thing that he wants to leave with the Philippian church and with us as God's people as he's writing this is interesting. It's a very interesting thing that he says. He's, he leaves them, the one last thing he says is he says, think about these things. Think about these things. The Greek word uh, logosomai, right? Say that with me, logosomai. Yeah, very good. I didn't think y'all would do that. Normally you're, okay, we're doing good. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. Um, You're talkative this morning. So it's this word, it can be translated, so we have the word think about these things, but in, in, the, in, the, in the original language, in the Greek, this word can be translated to ponder, to dwell on, to reflect on, to muse, to even daydream, to focus on, to, we would say, to chew on, uh, to mule over, to meditate on. Meditate is another way that it's translated. If you have another translation besides the ESV, it can also be rendered or a lot of those other words. Um, so in spite of the fact that this is a Greek word that Paul is writing in, uh, the imagery here is of a Hebrew imagery of meditation. Remember, Paul is a classically trained rabbi, Hebrew rabbi. He's religion, He's brought up in that tradition. He's brought up, remember, he's the rabbi of rabbis. He went, through his, 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 he went through his resume earlier, the tribe of Benjamin, all these things. So when he says the word, think on these things, when he says the word, meditate on these things, he's bringing a real Hebrew understanding of the term meditation. And it harkens back, and the same word is used in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law or on the Torah, he meditates, this idea, day and night, a meditation on what's being said. The person that meditates on the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water. That means you're healthy. Your roots are deep. You're getting the water of life that you need. And so Paul says, notice he says, think about or meditate on such things. There's a huge gap between um, Eastern religion meditation and what Paul is talking about here in Hebrew meditation. So Eastern meditation would be this, uh, this idea of emptying your mind. So emptying your mind of all these things so that you can really gain clarity. So it's like it's meditation of like kind of removing all this junk out of your mind so that you can think properly about whatever it is you're meditating on. When Paul and the Hebrews would use the word meditate on the law of God and he's using this word here to meditate on these things it's not emptying your mind it's actually an active of filling of your mind of all the goodness of God and he gives us the list that we are to actually not empty our mind to gain clarity but to fill our mind with so he's saying Think, fill your mind, meditate on all of these wonderful things that I'm going to give to you. It's not, a, it's not an act of emptying of your mind to rid your mind of toxic thoughts and truths and worries and anxiety. It's actually the way you combat it is to fill your mind with that which God gives us is good, right, and true. So this is what he's playing on here. This is what he's getting the church to think about. This is what he's getting you and I to think about. It's a, it's a, it's a statement about the state of our minds and our thoughts that then determine how we live and operate in the world in which we breathe. Um, <clears throat> he's saying, fill up your minds. Well, with what? What, do, what is he calling us to fill up our minds with? Here as he's concluding this letter to this church that he loves, and then he gives us this laundry list of all the things that he calls us as believers in Christ who are living in a gospel culture, who are advancing the gospel together in this generation to fill our minds with. And all we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through the rest of our time together this list that he gives to us, and it's a wonderful list. And we're gonna gonna see what does he mean? What is he calling us to fill our minds with? I think a lot of times, Uh, In church, we tend to focus on the heart and how we feel uh, a lot. And that is in the Bible, certainly. Jesus talks a lot about the heart. He also talks a lot about the mind. Paul also talks a lot about the mind because what we think about who we are, who God is, who each other are, determines how we interact with one another. And he wants us to think rightly about all of these things so that we can live in a holistic way with our minds and our hearts and our actions all being synced up with the good of God and the glory of God and who we are and how he's made us. So first, he says this, the very first. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, verse eight, that's the first thing he says that we are to think on. The word true Course is is this idea this sense, the sense the Greek word is that which corresponds with reality. Um, and, it, and it's interesting because if you remember last week, Paul left out or left off harping on Philippians four six. I'm going to read it so we can remember. He says, "Do not be anxious about anything." Remember that last week? He calls us to remove anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So anxiety, he's telling us, don't be anxious about anything, and then he kind of doubles down on it here by telling us what to fill our minds with, fill it with what is true. Well, anxiety is all about what's untrue. Think about what anxiety, what plagues you, what you're anxious about. Anxiety is all about the what ifs. Anxiety is all about what if this doesn't happen? What if this doesn't come to pass? What if I don't get this? What if this happens to my kids? What if this doesn't happen in my marriage? What if this doesn't, this deal doesn't go through? What if this promotion never happens? Anxiety fills your mind with that which is untrue. And it fills your mind with all of the what-ifs of the world. And it fills your mind with anxiety. What if, what if, what if? If you think about all the things you're anxious about in life, that whatever list that is for you, all the what-ifs, what if this doesn't happen, what if this doesn't come to pass, what if I don't get that, when you really evaluate those as you look back on your life, 90% of the things, I know all statistics statistics are made up, a lot of the things we're anxious about, that we worry about, that keep us up at night, that keep the voice spinning in your head, that you wake up early thinking about, don't actually ever happen. They're not true. They don't actually, most of the time, come to pass, but we fill our minds with them, don't we? We spend enormous amounts of time ruminating on them, thinking about them, and they, 90% of the time, a lot of the time, don't come to pass, and we fret about them. Why? Because they're hypothetical, they're not true. And Paul says here, child of God, child of God in Christ, fill your minds with that which is true, with with that which is grounded in reality, not what paralyzes you about your future, not what paralyzes you about the what-ifs. Think about, he says, what is true. And so practically speaking, That's why one of the many reasons that we should fill our minds with Scripture every day. If you don't have a habit where you're in the Word of God, where you're thinking about what is true, this is what is true. This is reality. So fill your mind with God's Word because God's Word is an anchor to our anxious hearts because it is true. It grounds us in reality and we can begin to let go of the grip of all the what-ifs that rule our minds so often. Filling our minds with truth casts away falsehood. Think about what is true, he says. Secondly, whatever is honorable. Uh, this could also be translated noble. It's it's like royalty. What is honorable? What is royal? What is uh, noble? It's this It's this big word, and it's a word uh, that is a behavior or a way of living or a way of thinking that is fitting for nobility or a crown, is what they would have thought of when they heard this word. Now, if you remember, if you kind of follow the whole uh, royal family thing in our day and age, who was it, Prince Harry and his wife, I can't remember her name, uh, someone said it. Megan, Yes, Harry and Megan. Remember, they basically, like, walked away from the royal family. They, like, just, I I don't know all the details, but they, it was a big deal. It was international news. Everyone's talking about it. It's on all the tabloids. You're getting, like, your phone's buzzing with all the news apps we follow about this big event that was happening. Why is that a big deal? Family scuffles happen all the time and it's never international news. It was a big deal because they are royalty and their behavior was not fitting for what royals typically do. It was not a noble thing in many people's eyes or some people's eyes it was, whatever side of the coin you're on. It was newsmaking because it was jarring. It was not in line with what royals do. And in a similar way, Paul is calling you and I as children of King Jesus to fill our minds with that which is noble and honorable and worthy of King Jesus, whom we serve, whom we love, who still sits on the throne, who we are now children of. Think on what is honorable, what is noble, We're sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And that has some gravity to it. Paul is wanting us to think about that. Ephesians, Paul says it this way. Walk worthy of the calling you have received. It's a similar idea. Walk worthy of the calling. Live up to who you are. You've been saved by the king of the universe. You're now a a child of God. So fill your mind with honorable things because we now possess this nobility as sons and daughters of the king. Don't fill your minds with with crass things, with trashy things, with ugly things. No, think about what is noble. Now, this is a little rant. This is going to be convicting for all of us. As I was pondering this, Paul's calling us to think on what is noble, not what is trashy, what is honorable, not what is dishonorable. Think about your screen time. I was thinking about that. We were talking about this morning. Now we all have an app, if you're an Apple user, that tells you exactly how addicted to your phone you are every week. And some of us have turned it off because we just don't wanna know. We're like, oh my gosh, it's so troubling. You're like, oh my goodness, I've spent how many hours a day Looking at this little screen, the average American, as I was looking at statistics and studies, this is from 2022, spends an average of seven hours and four minutes per day consuming media on a screen. TV, phone, video games, uh, YouTube, Fox News, CNN, pick your whatever it is, Instagram, Facebook, seven hours a day. The av- that's the average. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. It's like t- sometimes it's more, depending on the new shows coming out, right? That's like just the median seven hours a day. Just a few years ago, it was like four and a half hours. It just keeps getting more and more and more and more. Our lives are now just connected to this thing. And here's the challenge how much of what we're thinking about, how much of what we're filling our minds with for these seven hours that we're consuming this other content is noble, is honorable, is fitting of sons and daughters of the king of the universe, or how much of it is just trash, how much of it is violent? How much of it is sexualized to the hilt? How much of it is just, pardon me, dumb, and endless, like nothing, and you don't even remember it the next day, but you've just taken it in? You've let it become part of you. Most of it is not honorable. Most of it's not noble. Um. Some of it is even depraved. Some of it is even in rebellion against God and what God is calling us to. So <laughs> I know you're like, oh gosh, so glad we came to the last service here. This is like an <laughs> anti-iPhone talk. Well, kind of. I mean, we just we, he, Paul's calling us. Think about these things. Think about what's honorable and noble. So, using basic mathematics here like that a first grader could figure out. If you're reading your Bible for 10 minutes a day, which all of you should read your Bible. I hope everyone reads it sometime during the day. Maybe some of you, it's, this is, I just read it here when I come once a week. Some of you are like, I never read it. Some of you, I read it all the time, praise God. But if you're only reading your Bible 10 minutes a day or even, praise God, an hour a day, but we're also spending seven to eight hours a day on all of these other voices and all of these other things coming into our minds that we're thinking about, which one do you think is forming how you view the world? Which one do you think mathematically is is forming and shaping your heart and your mind of how you view the world you live in, how you view... uh, Everything that you do in the world, that's easy math. And that's convicting. That's convicting to me. I'm not standing up here saying I've got this figured out and I'm doing it perfectly, but I'm considering what Paul is telling us and saying we need to make some changes. We need to think about what's honorable. Because 10 minutes with Jesus versus eight hours with Netflix, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, CNN, Fox News, Drudge Report, whatever, pick your poison, is not enough to form and shape us as kingdom citizens of King Jesus. It just isn't. Um, So Paul is charging you and I, as believers in Christ, saved, saved, by King Jesus, rescued, called to advance the gospel in our generation, to get rid of the junk, to get rid of the things that are not honorable and noble to King Jesus, and to think on and put inputs in your mind that are honorable. Next one, whatever is just. The Greek word can be translated justice or righteousness. Early on, this word was used uh, for weights and measurements in a market. So it was this is what is right and this is what's just. It's correct. So the amount is correct. It's a just amount. So in other words, that's where we get this understanding of the right standard of a unit of measurement, a right standard, the way God intended it. So he's saying, fill your heart, or fill your mind, rather, and meditate on and dwell on things that are right as God intended. Now, the world, yes, is filled with injustice, absolutely. The world is filled with it, but it's also filled with things that are right as God intended. Uh, and, And Paul's calling us as Christians to not just think about all the things that are wrong all the time forever and ever and ever. Yes, there's injustice. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's rebellion. Yes, we've corrupted that which is good, true, and beautiful because of sin. But we're not just to stay in that lane and let our minds dwell only on those places. He's saying, fill your mind with that which is just and that is right in the economy of God, as God has intended. Let your minds be filled with what is right, because we are so prone to being sucked into the black hole of all hope is lost, aren't we? Whatever, uh, whatever side of the coin politically you ascribe to, um, if you consume that all the time and that is what you think about and that's even your hobby, a lot of us, are. we just love the political theater that plays out, it's entertaining for us and part of it is entertaining, but part of it also, if you just let that consume you, you will live in a state of hopelessness if your person isn't sitting in the right chair and all hope is lost. And that's not a good, Paul doesn't want us as believers to live in that place. Now, we have to be well-informed. He's not calling us to just uh, put on like a blindfold to the world around us, but he's saying don't live there because anger and anxiety will rule your heart if you live there. Fill up your mind with what is just, what is right in the economy of God. Find it. Don't pit humanity against one another. Don't be don't be one of those people that flies off the handle at the mere mention of someone's name that you dislike or you don't like sitting in a certain chair. Uh, news media is not the place that you should find your hope in the world. It's a It's a business. They profit off of these feelings we have because it keeps us coming back to the well, keeps us mad, keeps us angry, keeps us divided and ticked off at each other. We find hope in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is still on the throne. He is still advancing his church today. He is still king. He is still sowing seeds of the gospel in the hearts and minds of people all over this world, and we're a part of it as God's church. And Paul says, think on these things. Jesus is on the move. We're a part of the mission of God, the hope of God, the hope of, uh, of the world, Jesus Christ, who is risen and reigning and ruling and at the right hand of the throne of God today, and we're a part of it. Cling to that reality we can find great hope in that. Um, next up, pure. Now the word pure means not mixed with anything, uh, unadulterated. Uh, it's it's there's no other substance in your mind that is clouding you. It's like a purebred animal, right? There's no other. This is a purebred. Whatever, you know, it's like, you pay a lot more for the purebred dog that, you know, like this is the purebred. It's going to act and behave just like this breed that I want because I want it to do these certain things. I want it to behave a certain way. I want it to not be clouded with any other thing that's going to have it to not act the way it's supposed to act because it's this way. In the same way, your mind should be pure, not clouded with all of these other substances or things. Our minds should be pure, not mixed with sin, So no lust. Don't fill your mind with it. No anger, no pornography, no bitterness, no replaying in your head over and over and over again what happened 10 years ago and dwelling on it and hanging on it and letting it rule and govern your mind. Not what the conversation you had yesterday that you thought, I don't know if I said the right thing. And you just, you just, don't let it mix and it just, It takes over your thoughts. It takes over your thought patterns and and then how you interact with the world around you. Have a pure mind. He's saying, get the junk out. Don't let it be mixed with sin. Have it be free from those things so what you can think about is the goodness of God, the generosity of God, the truth of God. Next on the list, lovely. It can be translated beautiful. It can be translated pleasing. Pleasing. It's this sense, this word that we're given when you think on what is lovely. It's when you behold something or someone beautiful. It's a great thought. It's a great feeling that comes with that. It's when you behold... The perfect sunset when you think on what is uh, your favorite place. It's a nice river or a stream or a beautiful piece of art. Or you're taking in what is lovely, a piece of music that you just love that makes your heart soar. Think on the truth of who God is. Think on what is lovely, good food, good music. So Paul's drawing on even our real-life experiences What is beautiful in the world around us? He says, think on these things, not all these things that we tend to go in the gutter. Fill your minds with the things of beauty and loveliness. What is pleasing in the world because of the very grace of God that he's given to us? Let that flood your mind and then that trickles into your heart and what's ugly and what's displeasing begins to shed off of you. Because if we fill our minds with what's ugly, what's displeasing, what's bad, what's wrong, what's going poorly, if we just live there, if we just always go there, we always talk about that. That's what we talk about at night, that's what we think about in our heads, in our minds. What he what we talked about last week, anxiety bubbles up, depression bubbles up. All of these things start happening. Paul says, think about what's lovely and beautiful. It's good. It goes on. Whatever is commendable, or whatever is admirable, or whatever is of good report, it could be translated, or uh, another way that it could be translated, whatever is well-recommended. Well-recommended. So if someone asks you today, and maybe this would be a good exercise, what are you thinking about right now? Don't you love have that question? Like, well, I don't know which thing. There's a lot going on up there. What are you thinking about right now? Could they say, after you said it out loud and you were truthful, could they say, "I hear great things about that That's wonderful, oh my gosh, I'd recommend that too. Is it commendable is it Could it be recommended that someone else would think the thoughts that are in your head, or would it be like, "Oh geez, you're thinking that like that's a tough place to be like let's let's talk about that hes He wants it to be what we're thinking about would be recommendable to other people, that our minds would be filled with the goodness of God. Not things that are filled with anxiety and filled with hopelessness. We're not a people without hope. Think on what is commendable so it can be commended to others in your life. Now, two more. He switches from adjectives to nouns here. If there is any excellence, Paul says. If there's anything in this world that is excellent, the word that's used here is virtue or virtuous. Is there anything virtuous? The ancient Greeks, um, virtue meant this, it was this idea, it was excellence of character. Virtue was a life well lived. It was a life lived that was full of all of these virtues, this way of thinking, this way of being. And so Paul puts these in here on purpose because here he's speaking to a people in a church that was planted in the Macedonia region and they're embedded in Greek culture. More on that a little bit later. But he says, think on what is virtuous, a life of virtue, and live that way and think about what that means for you and then the last on the list, if there's anything worthy of praise. If there's anything worthy of praise. Now this word self-explanatory. Is there anything that is deserving of praise? Um, say Apple on our new f- fun devices that I just railed against for 20 minutes uh, added a fifth lens on the newest edition, iPhone 49 or whatever it is coming out. And it could like just take a, you just pull up an app and, and I could just put Scott's thoughts like up on the screen. And they would just, there they are. And it's like his, what's in his mind. If we were all to look at that, the imagery that Paul is giving to us, would we all read that? And we would go through the list of the I thought that just happened and it's now on the screen and screen shared. Would we all look at it and say, praise God. Look at what his mind is filled with. It is worthy of praise. It draws my heart to want to praise the creator God through the Lord Jesus Christ because of what we've been rescued from and rescued into in the family of God. Is it worthy of praise? Is what fills your mind? Worthy of the praise and honor of God. Um, Would we look at it and say, Get the band up here, it's time to worship. Like, that was good for the soul. A lot of times, no, right? All of you are like, please, I hope that never exists. (laughs) You don't want to know the recesses of my mind, right? Um, Paul's calling us as God's people to fill our minds, to think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise. Paul is calling his church, Paul is calling you and I that as we walk in this world, we would celebrate the goodness of God, the truth of God, all that he's done in and through us, and our minds would be filled with all of who he is, not just things that are in the gutter. Things worthy of praise would fill our hearts in minds Now, one of the first things, I just need to point this out, that scholars look at and scholars talk about in this section and in this text right here, and you may have noticed it as I was preaching through it, is that in this laundry list of all the things that Paul just uh, tells us to think about, there's nothing in here that is distinctly gospel. There's nothing in here that is distinctly gospel, so there's nothing in this list that couldn't have been taken from an ancient book on virtue. An ancient Greek, uh, like the works of Aristotle, Seneca, Epicurus, all of these would have loved these, these attributes of virtue that, that, that translate into human flourishing. This is how we should live. This is how we should be. This is what we're meant to be as people. They would have loved this list. So there's nothing distinctly quote-unquote Christian in this list that he's calling us to fill our minds with. What does that mean? I think it means that Paul is calling us as believers in Christ to celebrate the goodness of God, the beauty of creation, the truth of who he is, the truth of the very word of God, not just in the church, but in our, our whole life as we walk through this life. It's a call of our entire lives to embrace the goodness of God that he's given to us that we could look out in the world that we're living in the places that we operate in and we can find the fingerprints of God in all of these things and we can redeem them as God's good gifts to his children so the beautiful music that we love that makes our hearts soar the places we want to go visit and see that makes our, enraptures our minds that we, we long to see and look at, the, the taste of wonderful food. God's wired us all differently, and He's having us in this Greek culture redeem all of these senses of virtue for the gospel. These are all gifts from our Creator who is good. And has wired you in a certain way to enjoy the beauty and fashion and food and drink and children and family. Think on all that is good and lovely. See the goodness and generosity of God in your life today. And let it fuel you and fill you because he's good to you. Um, And he's saying on the inverse, don't go. If If you inverse this list, don't go. To the well of that which is, and fill your mind and think on that which is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of ill repute, vicious, and blameworthy. That's the list in inverse. Don't fill your mind there. Those thoughts are not a representation of God's work and his will in your life. Don't go to the well of all the places that humanity and sin has made them ugly and distorted and feed on those places and draw from those wells. God says, fill your minds with all that is good and celebrate the generosity of God. Last thing, it begs this question. You're like, is this like a self-help sermon or what's going on here? Uh, this is what's, what's happening. No, uh, evil does exist. Sin abounds in my life, in your life, in the lives of those outside of the walls of this church. So, what do we do with that? What do we do with things that are evil and unjust? Next verse, he tells us. He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't, it's not just think happy thoughts. The end, go home, see you later. Just put on the blinders. No, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So how do we know what we should and should not think about? Paul says two things. He says, whatever you have learned. So in other words, my teachings, all the letters that Paul gives to us. Well, many of these are now collected in what we have as the New Testament. And then he says, and what you have received from me. So these other churches, if you think about, well, what, has, what have they received from us? So they received his teachings, his letters, and then he also, would, they would have received from him The Old Testament, the Torah, the Scripture. So he's calling them to what they received was the word of God. So my teachings... And the very words of God. And so now, if collectively in this era, we have the Old and New Testament He's saying, Take what God has given to you in the teachings of the Old Testament and the New Testament, what you have learned and what you have received, and let that inform your thoughts and your hearts and your minds and your actions. You have the truth of the Word of God. Let it Guide and direct you. Read the scriptures. That's how you know how to think about what is good and what is evil in this world. Fill your minds with God's word. And then he says, and have heard and seen in me. And then he puts himself as an example. He says, I'm a living example of how to live this out. How can Paul say that? Because he's following Jesus. That's how. Remember, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So in other words, Jesus is the lens by which we critique evil and which we bring in good into our lives in God's economy. We have both, so we need to navigate it well, but he's telling us not to just live in the gutter but take on the generosity and beauty and joy that we're called to live in as believers in Christ, redeemed sons and daughters of King Jesus who is reigning and ruling now. We have both in the Gospels, right? So I think some people have like a Genesis 1 worldview. It's like God created, he made everything, and look, he called it good, let's party, this is awesome. You know, it's like I'm just Genesis 1, I don't wanna think about any of the bad. Some people are more of like the Genesis 3 worldview where sin enters the world, it corrupts everything, and we're like, we need to go to church every day, probably three or four times a day. So we kind of have two sides, but both are in the story of the redemption. Both are the gospel story. We have both and that are happening. And we know now in Christ, we're given a lens through which to view the world. We know the redemption we have in Christ, the freedom from sin that we're given and the generous good things that the Lord gives to us as recipients of his grace as God's people. And Paul's calling us to fill and our minds with those things and let that settle into our hearts and it will determine how we live. And if we do that, if we live in that, here's the result. And the peace, and the God, I'm sorry, and the God of peace will be with you. If you fill your minds with that, The God of peace will be with you. See, the end result isn't self-help and happiness. You get God. Get more of him. So if you remember last week, all the things he tells us to do, the peace of God becomes ours. The end of this list is the God of peace is now yours. Peace, peace. The peace of God and the God of peace together, garrisoning our hearts, walking with us, it's this symbiotic relationship. It's a connection between what you think and the peace of God that's lived out in your life. It's, it's, they're connected. Your thinking and your feeling are connected. That's how our bodies are hardwired. It starts in our minds, and it ends up in our hearts, and in our souls, in our emotions. What we think, what we put in, determines how we feel about everything. What we think about ourselves, what we think about God, who we think Jesus is and who he is for us and through us, what we think about each other, all of those things inform how we feel about everything. So Paul is saying, do the hard work of the mind. Fill it with the goodness of God the truth of God, the grace of God, the purity of God. Jesus talks a lot about the mind, not just the heart. The greatest commandment, he says, if he's summing it all up in the scriptures, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. There's a heart. With all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Uh, We can love God by learning, with a thought life, with a mind that is filled up with what is true, not what is ugly, your mind, church, is either an act of worship to God or an act of rebellion against him. And that is the battlefield on which our thoughts and feelings about who we are, about who God is, and who we are to each other is won are lost, is in our mind. So which one? Is it filled with whatever is true, honorable just pure lovely commendable if anything excellent if anything worthy of praise and the result of living a life that way is that the god of peace will be with you um i just want to end with saying this <clears throat> this is not like we all we all battle this this is a battle we all wage in different ways in our minds it's a battle that we all wage that trickles down into our hearts and feelings with one another Um, and it's not it's not a war that's won tomorrow like you can't just say okay great i'm gonna do that and tomorrow it's all gonna be wonderful god can do a miracle he's capable of anything he can do that but it is a it's a battle And Paul talks about it in another place in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It's not gonna be on your screen, but I'm gonna read it to you. And he describes it as a battle about the war of the mind, about believing and clinging to the goodness of God in the midst of a sinful world. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 10.5. If you have notes, you can write it down, go back to it, study this. He says this, we destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Let me read that again. This is like battle language, this is warlike language, and it's all fought in the mind. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And catch this the end of this and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, church. this week, today, this month, this year. Do the hard work of destroying every argument that's against God that comes against you in your mind and take every thought that comes to you, not some thoughts, every, take every thought and take it captive so that we can obey Christ and we can live in his good way and we can live in what is true, what is good and what is beautiful that he calls us to walk in and live in each and every day and it is a slow thought battle, really, I think, until we see him one day face-to-face, because now we see him merely dimly lit, but one day we will see him face-to-face, and that will be a very good day, and it is a worthy fight to cling to what is true. Let's pray together, church, as the praise team comes back up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that it is honorable. We thank you that it is just that it is pure, that it is lovely, it's commendable, it is excellent, and it's worthy of praise. And so God, I pray for us as your people, as we long to live a life filled and fueled by the gospel of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, that you would do a work in our minds, that we would think about all of these things that your word just told us to think on and dwell on and meditate on, that we wouldn't just run past it, that it wouldn't be an exercise just for today, Lord, but collectively in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead, we would dwell in these places. Oh, and what a joy it would be for us to live in this way with you, God, with our families, with our church, with our friends, with our communities. Lord, we know you are longing to do a work in and through us. And so, God, I pray, would you move in these wonderful, excellent ways in our minds and would it translate down into our hearts that we would walk with you all the days of our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Church, we stand and worship.